0: what is clearly one of the great, great passages around Jesus, and many of us have heard of this uh, exchange that occurs with the woman who was caught in adultery, and of course, in John 8, it, it, it also contains one of the great phrases of Jesus, one of the great quotes of Jesus that is often used. In a variety of contexts, people talk about this phrase that is where he uttered, he who is without sin cast the first stone in. And so, we're gonna talk about how that you know, sort of happened and relook at this and, and sit with it and hopefully learn from it and apply it. And so if we can, you know, either in your, your Bibles or your handouts or even if you have your Bible on a phone and you wanna follow along that way, just stay focused though, that's all. You know, that's fine though. Um, we're living in changing times and that's okay. That's a good thing too. But I'm gonna read from uh, the eighth chapter of John. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives now, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And all the people came to him, and they just sat, he sat down, and he taught them. And so the picture we have is of Jesus in the temple, the beautiful temple that um, had been built to honor God. And it was the picture, if we can't see it in our mind's eye, and I know it's not necessarily easy for us, but maybe we, we can just try to envision it. Jesus is there. He's teaching in this beautiful place of stone and marble, and he's seated there. And the people are around him and they're listening to him as he's sitting explain the truth of God and share things that in ways that hadn't been shared before uh, about the heart of God. And he's teaching them from the scriptures. And as this is happening, there's an incident. There's there's something that happens that um, caught everybody off guard. And uh, it must have been quite a moment, because we read here, if you follow with me in verse three, it says, "Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the scribes, the lawyers, the experts of the law, the law of Moses, the Pharisees, who were strict adherents to those teachings, the teachings of the law, uh, brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery, and, and when they had set her in the midst, um, they said to him, "Teacher." This woman was caught in adultery, in fact, in the very act and, they, and we can imagine that just for, you know, again, in our minds, I imagine Jesus as he's teaching and the people are there listening. And all of a sudden, you can he- hear this big clamor. And all of a sudden, this, this crowd, this entourage of powerful leaders and officials, and they're moving through the crowd and there's, there's quite a ruckus happening. And they're dragging someone or at least pulling her. She's fighting them in a little bit. She's barely clothed. They, they take this woman and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. The other party nowhere to be found but this woman they throw at the feet of Jesus and they say you know um, what are you going to do about this about this Jesus now it, you got to understand that when we read what follows next what they asked Jesus here is it says now they said this teacher this woman was caught in adultery in the very act and Moses in the law commanded us that she should be stoned to death you know the law what do you say now you got to understand the issue wasn't about the woman it, she was basically a pawn in a, a match. And they had made up their minds that they were going to put Jesus in what they viewed as a lose-lose situation. You've got to understand, when we, when we talk about someone being stoned to death for committing adultery, even those of us who have strong feelings about you know, how devastating unfaithfulness and how wrong adultery is, um, it sort of rages against our modern sensibilities, our Western sensibilities. It just seems so barbaric, the idea of having someone stoned to death. It just doesn't seem right. Now, part of our thought process has been influenced, ironically, by the very teachings of Jesus. The, the Christianity, in many ways, has had a, a lot of contribution to the exaltation of the role of a woman, particularly as it rega- in regards to Mary and the role that she played in bringing the Savior into this world, and then also just in the way in which Jesus spoke to, to women in general. And so much of our culture has actually been affected by that. If you carry it down the roots, you can see that so much of why we even think a lot of the ways that we do, it is connected at least in part to some of what Jesus taught us about people and their dignity and essential value and worth. Having said that, you have to go, try not to to look at this from the context of our present, but look at it from the context of where it was. God had given Moses a law. It was designed to safeguard the family and to safeguard the key relationship of the family unit and so they were right, these, these accusers. Uh, they were right in a, to a certain degree. From the letter of the law, they were right. And when they threw this woman in, at the feet of Jesus, they, were, they understood exactly what they were doing. They had intended to put him, as one commentator called it, on the horns of a dilemma. you got to understand, Rome was at this time ruling in um, Jerusalem, in Judea. Uh, the Jewish people were subjugated to Roman rule, as were so many nations at the time. Rome was the great, dominant power of the age. They had followed in sequence, right? You had the Babylonians, you had the Medes and the Persians, and then you had the Greeks, with Alexander, and then finally this, this stunning development of, of uh, government and warfare that expressed itself in the, in, the, in the Romans, who just covered a large swath of, of the known world. And the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, was something that was established by rule by force. The Jews had not escaped it. They were also subjugated people. They were given more autonomy than a lot of people at the time. Um, they were basically told, there were two things though they was required of them. One was that they were required to pay taxes to Caesar as all people were. Rome would be financed. But secondly, they were also given a limit. The leaders were given a limit in, in terms of their authority they were told that they had jurisdiction over their people to to conduct civil law, but they did not have the authority to have anyone put to death. That is, by the way, later on, jump forward a couple of years, later on, when when they have come to the conclusion that Jesus must die, the temple leaders, the authority, the leaders in Jerusalem at the time had determined that they wanted him dead. But they did not have the ability to have him executed. That is why, if you recall, they have him brought to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and they ask him if he will make a decision, and Pontius Pilate is the one with the Roman authority who makes the decision to have Jesus crucified. They had, so they knew that they could not have this woman put to death, and, and, but they were hoping that Jesus would be put into a position where if he won agreed that Moses was right and we must back the law that then they could and he says she should die people would people would basically then rise up and they would be able to point to him as someone who has rebelled against Rome and violated the law and they would have him arrested as as a revolutionary So there was one side. Then the other side was, if Jesus says, no, 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 that is out of balance, you can't do that. Then they would say, see, to all the people, he's no real lover of God's word. He's not a a friend of Moses. He himself is a questionable character who cannot be considered trustworthy because he violates the very word of Moses, the law that we as a people adhere to. So what's he going to do? They, somebody must have thought. They must have had this discussion. That's what we will do. We will, we will throw her, at, and we will force him into a position. And either way, it's a lose-lose for him. What happens next is fascinating. Because it says that as Jesus is sitting there, and we can go back to the text real quickly here. As Jesus is sitting there, and after they, and look at verse 6. It says, this they said, look at it, testing him that they might have something, there it is, of which to accuse him. But Jesus, what does he do? As they're pressing him, so what do you say, Jesus? Should she be stoned? We caught her in the very act. You tell us. What is your judgment, teacher? Say it in front of all the people. What Jesus does, as we're told here, and just, we just read it, he he gets down from where he was teaching. He bends down, and then he starts to write. And um, he must have been on the on the part of the grounds where was dirt. And he begins to write on the ground in the dirt. And they press him. And by the way, everybody's watching. Everybody's waiting. The, the, the woman is, is, who is before him, her, her life in this moment depends on what he says. The people who are there, they're watching. What's he going to say? Every, they're fixed on it. The, his, the accusers are there. They're saying, come on, make your verdict. Give us your judgment. What do you say? What do you say? What's he going to say? And then Jesus, he basically gets down on the ground, and it says that he just starts riding in the ground, and he doesn't answer them at all. In fact, it says that he acts like he doesn't hear them. he says he doesn't, just ignores them. But then he decides, I don't know at what point, but in the moment, he rises, and then he says, out of the silence, He says to them, and and I'm assuming he looks at them all. It says that he raised himself up and he said to them, listen, he, and it must have been something about the gaze of Jesus. He, they thought they trapped him. He takes it and he flips it and he turns it inside on them. And he says, he who is without sin among you, you go ahead and you throw the first stone in. Look inside your own heart. He pushed them inside. And there must have been something about it that was, was intense because it says that then, notice what happens next. It says, then he went back to the ground. Look at this. And then again, he stooped down to the ground. So after he, so, we get, so he's writing. they're pressing him. He doesn't say anything. He gets up. He says, he was without sin. You cast the first stone in. They're standing there. He then gets back down onto the ground, it says and starts writing. Now this has led some people to believe because of what happens next has led some people to speculate that what he was writing, and no one knows for sure, what we know is from the next verse is that each one of them, their conscience was so so, um, affected that it says they left, but what's fascinating is the way in which they left. One by one, they melted away from, look, the oldest to the youngest, and that's why a lot of people believe that what Jesus was doing when he was writing in the, in, the, in the dirt was that he was writing something about each one of them, and as each one saw it, there was a melting away. Now, whether or not that's, tr- that's accurate can never be fully verified one way or the other. What is clear is that each one of them, from the oldest to the youngest, left feeling in their own heart, unworthy and incapable of doing what they had intended to do. And I don't know how they backed away. Did they just back away one at a time? Did they back away having looked at it? I don't know, no one knows. What we do know is there was one by one until there was nobody left of the the group that had come, except there was one that was left. And look, now after Jesus is there, it says that he, he, as he's writing, it says that each one went out one by one, convicted by their conscience, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was just left alone. And I, for a moment, look at it. It says he's left alone, and the woman is standing in his midst. So at this point, she's there. He's down here. And he says, he says to her, and he could have used a variety of ways of, of, of communicating with her, but he raised himself up, and, and he said, there's just you and me. And he said to her, woman, Where? Where are those who accuse you? Is there no one left to condemn you? And she said, there's, there's no one, Lord. But there was one. The only one that under the criteria of Jesus could have justifiably thrown the stone. Think about it. That him who is without sin throw the first stone in. Well, there was only one person in the midst who could do that. And he's the one who utters these words. Neither do I condemn you. Go. There's our word. Go. But key. And sin no more. You make the change that I've invited. Listen, listen. It wasn't just I don't condemn you. No big deal. (laughs) Don't worry about it. We're all in the same group. No, he says, go. Listen, I don't condemn you. I do have the, listen, I am giving you, I just gave you your life. I gave you your life. And now I want you to live in the life that I give you. Make the change. Stop doing what you've been doing. Go in a new direction, not the dead end path. That leads nowhere. Go here path of life. And then Jesus turns and he says to everyone, and I didn't put this in the handout, but it's on it's the 12th verse. He says this, and I love it. He says, "I am the light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." And then some who were around them, if you read the passage on, they criticized him. They said, Who are you? Who are you to say this of yourself? You can't testify of yourself like that. Jesus says, I testify of myself, and I tell you of the truth. I say what I am, for I know who I am, and I know where I have come from. I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not be bound in darkness, but will have the light of life, and that is what I have given this woman. That's what he is saying. I am the light of the world powerful it's, it's 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 intense it's beautiful and i look at that and i go wow god what is there there's so much for you and me here and i just gonna I'm, what I'm gonna do is when to just in the minutes we have left i'm gonna just put a couple of things fairly quickly that are more observations connected to what we've just looked at and then on the back end of the third i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna give us some some practical things that i i would like us to consider because this is about going. Think about, I want to go back to the word that he said. He said, go, go, advance, move forward, sin no more. No, Stop this dead end stuff. That's going, no, 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 don't do that. I don't condemn you. Shame off of you. I give you your life, but don't, don't go back to that. I, whatever got you, don't go back there. This is the change. This is your moment. This is your new beginning. Take my, take my word over your life. Powerful, beautiful. You know what? I was thinking about how she was there before Jesus. I was thinking about how they were before him. You know what it dawned on me? Everybody who was in front of Jesus was exposed. She was exposed, vulnerable. They were exposed. And I thought, firstly, that's really how we all are. We all stand before him at some level. In a sense, this is how we all are, always, exposed before him. The truth is that he sees us as we are, as we truly are. One of the reasons we can afford to be honest with God is because he knows already. He knows everything. He he knows us. He knows me. He knows you. He knows us for the good and the bad. And I suspect, I'm confident, there's some of that in every one of us. That even the best of us, have bad in us. And besides, who can truly know anyway? Only God. He sees us as we are. It's interesting that whenever people got in front of Jesus, there was a tendency to feel uncomfortable. Not unloved, but people realized how how he could see what no one else could see. So he... It's just how he sees you and me. Think about it. There were times where people said, just depart from Peter would go, Lord, why do you want me? Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. You know, you know me. Right? That people would, would, it's just, there's something about it. He knows who we are. We don't have to play a game. He knows everything. He sees everything. Things that people will never see. Some of us are really good. We've got our little secret world but it's not secret from him. And he's in the liberation business. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You know what else? Secondly, he rejoices in our exposure to send mercy our way. What Jesus teaches us is that God's heart is inclined to mercy. What is mercy? Someone said to you, How would you define, what is mercy? You say the word, what is it? Mercy, at least, is in part, is the withholding of of what is justly our deserved judgment. Mercy says, I I will not judge you on this. It's the withholding of judgment. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why, and I say this periodically just to help us remind us of the beautiful New Testament word grace is like an extension of the Old Testament concept of mercy. Mercy is the withholding of judgment. But you know what grace is? Grace is, so it, while mercy says, you deserve this, but I'm not going to give it to you. Grace says, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you. It's like, not only do I withhold judgment, but I give you the blessing you don't deserve nor could ever earn. Grace upon grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and think about it. When the Lord basically is saying is, I know, I know who you are. And even though I look at the when He did with the woman, He 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 got down. I just I don't know. Maybe it's just something about it, but He got down in the dirt. There's something about it. And I know I know why He was writing, but He got low. I mean, when He get down, and now you go, that's a picture. Think about it. It's the, the dust from which we came. It's a picture of the God who becomes who comes down and meets us where we are to take us where we could never go. And the one who said to the woman, you, where are your condemners? Are there any here? No, they're all all gone. Well, then neither do I condemn you. Shame off of you. But I tell you this, go and start a new life. And the one who said that, who said, I do not condemn, is the same one who was condemned for us. For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and then right behind it. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn it. It already has a sentence of death on it. That's our reality. But that the world through him might be saved. This is the way of the Lord. And what that does is the, the, real, the realization that we are always ultimately vulnerable, exposed, and yet he still is inclined to mercy not condemnation, it then reminds us that he has a new path for us to go, and that's the last piece here for me, which is basically saying he calls out the best in you and me, and um, in spite of our shortcomings, despite our shortcomings, um, even our sinfulness, willfulness, and, and, and pride, he, he calls us to the growing path, to the path of, of, of breakthrough and new beginning, and and that is the way of the Lord. There are times where he's going to ask us this question. Are you willing to reorder your life to have a new thing that I want to do? There are times where God's going to ask us to restructure our life, to make a change from what we have been doing. Now, I go back, someone would say to me, well, how do I, how do, I do that? And I, they were, we were thinking, like, you, know, uh, you know, how do I do? You say, go and sit no more. Well, well, sometimes, you know, I was thinking about three words. That each begins with an A just as a means of thinking about how to go about getting better or moving to a point of breakthrough. I thought of these words, I thought of words, accountability, I'm gonna make one up maybe, adjustability and agreeability. Uh, Accountable, adjustable, agreeable. And I was saying is that one of the key ways of breaking forward into new places, honestly, has to do with being willing to be accountable with other people who are also seeking to follow Jesus well. I said, there's just just too many things at work that mitigate against our ability to to really grow. We've been talking about advancing. I'm going to need other people that I'm connecting with for that to happen. It's interesting. When Jesus starts his ministry, he begins it with a small group. His core team, think about it, was 12. He says, This is how I want you to relate to one another. When he sent them out, he didn't say, You know what, each one of you, just go on your own, come back and report to me. He says, No, I send you out two by two. Don't ever go alone. Don't go alone. This is not an alone thing. Yeah, it's true. On my own, I must receive him. But after that, it's about me and others following him. It's, it, it, it has to do with two is better than one and a threefold cord not easily broken. The community is a powerful part of our growth. It's, it's, you know, okay, it was said earlier that when we serve others, whether it's abroad or here or in the community, that there's a twofold blessing. Think about what was said earlier. The one blessing is the blessing that those who we serve get. The how good is that? Secondly, there's the blessing that we get because we get the joy of serving in his name. How good is that? But there's a third blessing. And the third blessing is often the one that is underappreciated, underestimated, and not as often thought about, but it's the blessing that happens when we we serve together. There's a building of community together. It's one of the powerful dynamics of a small group. It's one of the powerful dynamics of serving. We begin to build relational vulnerability, and that creates opportunities to genuinely engage others so that when we have situations arise in our life, and we will, because no one is so strong, they don't ever need another person in the Lord to strengthen them, none of us. That when those times come, we have engaged in community and we are not alone. We have allowed ourselves to know and be known. Maybe in the study of his word, we share together in a group study, maybe it's in serving together, but the powerful dynamic of having others who can pray. I say to someone, one of the best things we can do when we're stuck, when we're afraid, when we're facing something, when we're not sure of what to do um, and we're feeling really beaten down and discouraged is to find someone and who we trust, who loves the Lord and say, can you just pray with me together? It doesn't have to be long. It could, it, but would you pray with me about this issue? Maybe two people. And the power of just agreeing together in prayer for something, welcoming the Lord. Lord, we welcome you into this situation. A lot of times we may find ourselves in situations where we're falling back into patterns of behavior uh, that are more characteristic of what we've been. It's not what we wanna be, but we've acquired habits. Some of us might find ourselves, especially in certain relational contexts, we, we easily, when the pressure is on, drop back into dysfunctions or ways of treating others that were modeled for us in our family. Or sometimes we have our own wounds. We bring those wounds into our life And sometimes those things feel like they just trap us, define us, and we see ourselves falling back into them. And the Lord is trying to say to us, that's not my path for you. Go and sin no more. That That is not the way I've called you to go. I have a path of life, but that's not it. That's got death all over it. And it is not my will for you to go there. And in those moments, it is really important that we are willing to bring other people Because none of us are so strong, spirit. there is a lot, there is spiritual dynamics, there's our own internal, uh, you know, warfare that's going on inside of our own heart with our competing affections, then there is the culture that also mitigates sometimes the way of Jesus. We've got all these forces pulling us in directions, and and yet we want to follow him, and we want to grow, and we want to get better, and we want to have breakthrough, and we hear his voice calling our name, and we want to respond. And yet there are things holding us back we feel ashamed about, we feel unworthy around, we feel shamed by, like that woman did who was stuck there before him. And he says, I do not shame off of you, but make a change. Change it up. Let me give you a new beginning. And that leads me the second piece here, which is this. I mentioned accountability. I mentioned, but also adjustability. And that is, for me, there are certain times in our lives where we have to make an adjustment that the way we have been going about things is gonna produce the same result if we don't make a change. That to say, well, I wanna do it, I wanna do it, then the question will be, well, okay, are we thinking about the type of things that create this, this um, you know, result or what behavior pattern? In other words, if I keep doing what I'm doing and I'm getting the same results, and now it's become an overused kind of cliche, culturally speaking, right? We get, that's the definition of an insanity, to think we're gonna get a different result. But the fact of the matter is there are times, listen, what I'm trying to say is there is no thing that binds us in this life that the Lord does not have a combination to unlock. Nothing. There is nothing that he cannot get out. He is the master surgeon of the soul. He can do it. But it may not be the combination all at once that we get. It may take time. may take adjustment. We may have habits. We may have to learn how to reorder things. This is where we get others in. And then the last thing we do is to make a determination to be agreeable. I mentioned that point because it's, it means that we're going to have to choose our attitude I think of the word agreeable, I was thinking, I was going, "It has a couple of meanings to me. One has to do with the idea that when we say, oh, that's an an agreeable, she's an agreeable agreeable person. It's a really agreeable personality. I think usually what we mean by that is they're easy to get along with. They're not hard to be with. Not stubborn, not gonna fight you every step of the way. I was having this conversation with my wife and and just in the minutes that I have left, um, I think she's in the class right now doing a part of the history teaching at the Connections class but we were, she was in preparation for her little piece there. But that's our version of membership, by the way. And if you want to get more connected, that's the class to go to. Having said that, she's over there right now, I think. And part of what she's to do, to do is to share a little piece of the history. And she said to me last night, after I got back from service, she said, um, how would you describe, if you had one word to describe yourself when we first met, what would it be? And I go, is this a trap question? Because <laughs> But we met when we were pretty young. We were, I was still technically a teenager, 17. We ended up getting married at 21, so pretty, we were pretty young there. Um, I said, well, if I'm just gonna say to describe the early years of our marriage, what I would describe it as is the one word I would use, and I would have never said this before, ever, but now I can say it. I said the word I would use would be called selfish. So because that's how I saw it was about what you could do for me. That was my understanding of love. Theoretically, I knew it wasn't, but that's experientially how I act. So that's different. I said, There are other things, and we talked about it. I said, But that's something I've, I've thought about. The Lord wants to teach us not to simply build our world around ourselves, He wants to teach us how to be an other person. Part of that means we're going to have to choose our response patterns and our attitudes. And it means we're going to have to make a decision not to be angry and selfish and proud. We have to welcome the Lord into our hearts, into our lives. We're going to have to say, I'm going to forgive and be forgiven. I'm not going to, listen, I say, we, we, it's once, we're going to get angry. We're going to blow it. But let those seasons, let those moments be small in duration, not long. Don't lengthen that out. Don't lengthen it out. Don't become a mean person. Don't become an angry person, a self-centered person, a bound-up person who's just holding on to offense and wound, bitter, oppressive in spirit. That's not the way of the Lord. Go and sin no more. And also I think the idea of agreeability also reminds me that I need to agree to accept his word over my life. For if he says, shame off me, but now I call you to a new path, I need to accept that word in my life just like that woman was being asked to accept the word of Jesus over her life and listen loved ones there are many people who have not yet been born who you have not met nor I who are destined to be affected some born some unborn who will be affected by our decision to listen to the word of Jesus over our lives and respond to it and to be a growing person in him who can say all the good that is yet to come because of our willingness to receive his word and agree with it over our lives. Lord, you know, as we come to the conclusion of our time together in in our closing moment of song and our time of giving, you who've given so much for us and to us. And uh, I just pray that you continue to work inside of our hearts. Again, I think about the effect that you can have in a life and how you know us like nobody else does and how you call us to points of breakthrough and and how so much of that is connected to our willingness to be known, to get into community, to engage with others who are training and open and growing and applying themselves to do better in you. Help us, Lord, not to sit it out on the sidelines, but to engage life in you. And if we get stuck in ruts, Lord, um, and we're finding that we're just disappointed with the outcomes that are flowing out of us when the pressure is on, then, then Lord, we want to recommit ourselves to a growing path. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Is not your word a light unto our path and a lamp unto my feet? Is not your word like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces? You can do anything. Keep working in our lives. Put a hunger and a thirst for what is right. You who are the light of the world, the light of the world. For those who follow you do not walk in darkness, but in the light of life. Pray for your blessing that your word reside in our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray it. Amen.